I invite you to turn in God's Word to Romans chapter 14. As we turn, let me pray for us. Father, you are holy and right and pure. You are caring, you are just, you are loving and merciful. You are the God who created us for your glory and your honor and for our good, and yet we have um, rebelled against you in so many ways. And so even now as we approach this text, we pray that um, our fleshly hearts uh, would just be um, taken captive to your word, that you would so speak to us, that we would so come and want to hear a word from God today, that you would um, capture our hearts and our minds and our thoughts and, and our lives, even now as we come and hear your word uh, to us, speak to us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Romans chapter 14. I'm going to read uh, the section that we're in, which will be uh, 13 to 19, and then we'll focus just on verse 17 today. Let me read to us God's word. Let's hear it. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on the one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken as of, of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by man. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. This is God's word, and may it enlighten and encourage and equip us for his ministry. When you hear verse 17, it says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The King of God, uh, so the kingdom of God is a phrase you'll find quite often in the New Testament, but not so often in Paul. Uh, Paul, in all that he wrote in the New Testament, he wrote a majority of the New Testament, only uses this phrase ten times. When in the gospel accounts, you will read the kingdom of God repeatedly. And so when you think about the kingdom of God, what do you think about? Do you think about the future kingdom of God? Uh, the heavenly kingdom of God? Or do you think about the present kingdom of God? If you say it only refers to the kingdom of God as in future, well, isn't Jesus king now? And if he's king now, of what kingdom is he king? Just the heavenly one? We know that it is simply not true, although the kingdom here and now is not perfect. It's not getting better in terms of uh, prosperity and, and people doing well. We know that, but that's not the, the kingdom that is to be expected. And that's exactly what um, the early church, you know, prior to the early church, the, the Pharisees were looking for. Uh, they wanted to, some of them, wanted to make him king of the literal kingdom and that everything would get better and he would conquer all the wars that they were to fight. That's not the kingdom that's at hand. 
The kingdom of God is the heavenly kingdom that is partially seen and represented now. We are a part of that kingdom now, although that kingdom has not yet fully come. You know, Jesus in his prayer, the Lord's prayer, as he's modeling prayer for his disciples, he prays that that to the Father, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So the kingdom of heaven already exists. The kingdom of God in heaven exists. And he's saying, let it be seen and know and felt and played out in your people on this earth. It doesn't mean there's going to be a physical, literal kingdom with a king on a throne and people as subjects who are doing well. Though we know that it's not just a future kingdom. Since he should and is the, should be and is the king of our life, we who have presently believed in him are servants of this king, and we are citizens of his kingdom. It's an interesting clump of verses when you think about verses 16 and 17 and 18 and 19. 16 is an interesting verse, uh, a very difficult uh, verse, obviously. Uh, it's an, a piercing verse. Do not let what you regard as good be spoken as uh, evil. And so... That's talking, obviously, some people will say, well, look, you just got to please the world and bow down and bend and be like them. You don't want the world to look at you and say, oh, you're evil. Like your views on marriage are evil and wicked. People will say that, and they do say that. That our views on biblical marriage are evil. They're they're hateful. That's wrong. So it's not what this is saying, like, oh, well, since they think it's evil, we should change our view. That's not what he's saying. Uh, He's saying, don't let what you regard as good, don't let your liberties be ever spoken as evil. So if if you are misusing your liberties, if you are misusing your freedoms in God and another person is is convicted of those things, don't trumpet over them. Like this whole context in Romans 14 is you using your freedoms and liberty to possibly diminish other people in their faith. He says, don't do that. That's, That's evil. Don't do that. But then verse 17 begins with this um, four clause, because the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. The kingdom of God is not about uh, what you are doing here physically in terms of your rule following religiosity. It's not about eating and drinking. It's not about flesh and bones. It's not what the kingdom of God is like. He says, this is not what the kingdom is like. But then he says, He goes into what it is like. He says, For it is not of eating and drinking, but it is of righteousness, number one, peace, number two, and joy, number three. And all of these are in the Spirit, as we will unpack this morning. Righteousness, peace, and joy. These are the matters of the kingdom. These are beautiful matters of the kingdom. Uh, And what he's saying here is, This kingdom of God and being a part of the kingdom of God, it shows itself in fruit. And it's not by talk only. It doesn't matter what you say if the matters of righteousness, peace, and joy are not evident. What you say is utterly useless. Paul knows this well. He knows that there are many people who can talk a good talk. And, and say that they're Christians and, and put on a good show. But at the end of the day, he says, I don't know who they are in Christ. In, in, in Corinth, there had been some opposition to Paul. Some people um, really trying to downplay who Paul was to the church. They're trying to accuse Paul, slander Paul. 
Uh, and he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, um, some are arrogant, and they just kept saying, because Paul kept saying to the uh, church at Corinth, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to minister to you in person. I'm going to be there for you. And some were saying, he's never coming. Paul's a liar. Paul doesn't show up. Paul's not going to come through for you. And so Paul calls them arrogant. 1 Corinthians 4, some are arrogant as though I'm not coming to you, but I will come soon if the Lord wills. And he says, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. He says, I'm going to come and I'm going to find out. We're going to see what these men are made of. Are these men just words? Are these men just, you know, Christians on the outside? Or do they have power? He says, we're going to see what they're made of. Words or power. And then he carries on. The next verse in, in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 20 says, For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but power. The kingdom of God is not about you saying you're a part of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is about the power of God in you transforming you. He says, we're going to come and we're going to see what these men are made of. Not about their power, not about their talk. Where's the power? Where is the power in their life to change? Where is the power in their life to forgive? Where is the power in their life to believe? He says, the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. This is so vital to remember because a lot of people can say many things. They can say many things about themselves. They can have many opinions about matters of the faith. They can perform many religious displays. They can talk a big game about their faith, which is interesting. Talking a big game about your faith doesn't even exercise faith. You don't even need to have faith to talk a big game about faith. You've never needed to even trust anything to be able to say a million words. Uh, you, can, you can know so much in your mind about the Lord Jesus Christ. You can say so many Christianese things, sound like a Christian, says, but that's not the matter of the kingdom. The matter of the, matter of the kingdom is about the power of that faith talked about. So people might talk, but that faith, according to James, it works, right? Faith without works, faith without evidence, faith without fruit is dead. It's non-existent. Without the power of God in a person, that faith, he says, is mere talk. It's mere words. It all comes down to the power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, uh, Paul, Paul recognizes the power of, of God in you rather than simply words. In 1 Corinthians 2, 4, he came and he said, you know, when I preach the gospel to you, I didn't just try to trick you. I didn't just try to use words. I didn't just try to fill your mind with knowledge. He says, for my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power. He says, when I came to you and I told you about the Lord Jesus Christ, it wasn't just words. You saw the power of God. You had a display, it says, a demonstration of the Spirit and a demonstration of His power. That's the kingdom of God at hand. And when you're preaching the kingdom of God, He says, it wasn't about the words I use. I could have said, you know, a script. I could have said the sinner's prayer. I could have used the, uh, whatever it is out there to say, oh yeah, here's the gospel for you. He says, but the true the launch of the kingdom of God in someone's life and showing them what the kingdom of God was about was not about words necessarily. You need words. 
Don't get me wrong, Romans chapter 10 tells us words are necessary. Um, He says, but it wasn't about crafty words. It wasn't about uh, using the right words to convince you or using the right words to make you feel good. It wasn't about a proper speech or winning your mind over with a good argument. He says it was about a demonstration of the spirit and of power. You saw lives changed. That had more impact. It gave power to the words. Words without works are dead. Faith without fruit is dead. Without the power of God, everything that's presented is emptiness. And people can push it all away and say, well, those are nice words, but somebody else said something different. But they can never say, God did act, and I can't deny it. It's about the power. It's not about arguments made, minds filled with knowledge. It's not about external rules being followed, people who are able to keep up. It's not about ceremonies performed here in Romans 14, right? These, these two different opinions, external rule following or not, ceremonies performed or not, freedom exercised. The matters of the kingdom of God are not about that stuff. It's not about the externals. That's why it says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, It's not whether you abstain or not. It's not with the words you use or not. It is about righteousness and peace and joy, verse 17 says. It's about the the power of God in you to attain these things, to be driven towards these things. In in Colossians chapter 2, Paul reminds us that the kingdom of God is is most definitely not about the external Actions. He gives warnings in, Col- in Colossians 2 about those who are um, swept away by the philosophies and, and all the, the new um, ways of the trickery of some of the religious leaders. He says in, in Colossians 2, verses 16 and forward, he says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink, with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one then disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head. What's interesting there is he's saying, like, there are are these people that have unverifiable things, right? So, you know, the, the great healers will tell you, oh, in your mind you feel better, right? Or I had a vision, or I had a prophecy, or I have a word from you, or I saw Jesus. None of it's verifiable by the power or the evidence of the fruit. It's all just up there. And I had a vision, or I have this great idea. I'm going to worship angels. All, all this was just fluff that could not be produced in fruit. He says, don't do that because that is not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together, its joints and ligaments grow with a growth that is from God. When you're in Christ, you are growing because that growth is from God. Christ is the head. That body will grow. That body will work. That body will produce fruit and do something. Just visions won't do anything. Uh, asceticism uh, um, that is uh, abusing your own body for the sake of thinking you're spiritual. So that's not going to produce anything either. No real fruit. He carries on in Colossians. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, 
Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations about do not touch or do not taste or do not handle? Referring to the things that perish as their use, according to human precepts and teaching. He says, these indeed had the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is ultimately all this outward religious activity, he says, has no value when it comes to the power of the wickedness in your heart. You can do all these things on the outside. You can go to church of seven days a week for eight hours a day, and that will not stop the wickedness of your heart. Going to a place won't do it. Opening a word, even reading words off the page of the Bible, simply will not do it. Without the power of God, none of the external actions will produce anything that is resembling true citizens of the kingdom of God. It's all about the power. It's not about these things. He says it's not about the external, although the external shows the fruit of what's going on in the heart. He reveals that in 1 Corinthians 15. He talks about some of the sins that they were experiencing, the fruit of their wickedness of heart, the fruit of the lack of, of the power of repentance in their life. And he says, what I'm saying, brothers and sisters, 1 Corinthians 15, 50, what I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. It's not about flesh and blood inheriting this kingdom of God. It's not about what you can do on the outside. It's about the Spirit of God in you. Read again verse 17 of Romans 14. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit, the power of God at work in the believer. Galatians chapter 5, you know this passage well about the fruits of of the Spirit, the Spirit of God and His power in your life transforming you, changing you, showing evidence of Him at work in your life. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You see, those words are repeated here in Romans 14. Righteousness is peace, joy. Righteousness is right living, which you can gather from the fruit of the Spirit, is the self-control, goodness, and faithfulness. They can be a part of and they are necessary for righteousness sake here. The kingdom of God, the matters of the kingdom of God, according to Romans 14, 17, are righteousness, peace, and joy. And these are fruits of the Spirit. The beautiful thing of all three of these is they will one day be perfect in us. One day, when we are finally in the physical kingdom of God, walking with our king, we will be perfectly righteous. No more sinful thoughts. No more wrong attitudes. No more screwing up when you didn't want to. Righteousness will reign. Peace will reign. We will be fully trusting. 
We will have no worries, no concerns, no anxieties. We will know the presence of the Lord and it will uh, overwhelm us with peace. Joy will be full. Psalm 1611, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Joy that overfills will be in his eternal kingdom. But what about now? What about now? How do we take these now and see the power of God working in us to produce these fruits? These are the matters of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God that if we're in Christ, we belong as citizens of that kingdom. Righteousness is a fruit, a necessary fruit in this life as an evidence that you belong to the kingdom. If you are unrighteous and you don't care, you don't care about righteousness, you don't care about repentance, you don't care about living rightly, that is evidence that you do not belong to the kingdom because this is a matter of the kingdom. The citizens of the kingdom strive for and by the power of God are transforming in righteousness. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, Don't you know that unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom? Don't you know unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom? If we live lives now not giving a care about righteousness, it's only evidence that we will not inherit the eternal kingdom. Righteousness now is not on our effort. It is an evidence and a fruit of what kind of tree we are. Righteousness is one of those fruits. By their fruit, you will know them, Jesus says. Jesus says, I I know who my disciples are. They are the ones who hear my word and obey it. That's righteousness. That's striving to do what is right and just, to know what God says is good and going for it with all of his power and all of his might. It's striving to do the right thing in the right way at the right time, which is all the time. It's by the power of God. It's in the Holy Spirit we do this. It is not enabled by ourselves. We know that there are righteous deeds that are like filthy rags when they are ours, aren't they? Before God, our righteousness is still stained with maybe wrong motivation. But in the Holy Spirit, when God is empowering it, when we stand in Christ complete, He looks at us fully righteous anyways. But are we reflecting what we truly are? Are we reflecting who we are in Jesus Christ? The righteous one, are we being transformed from one degree of glory to another, looking more and more like our Lord and our Savior, who is righteousness? He is righteousness. And are we becoming like him? Are we being uh, transformed here and now to be those who hate sin more today than we did yesterday? Who who grieve over the wrong that, that puts a wedge between us and God, although it's amazing to think because, you know, you could go on a real guilt trip of yourself as you look at your, your own unrighteousness. But at the end of the day, you always have to remember the gospel of Christ, that it is his righteousness, his righteousness alone on which we stand, not our own. And so if you fail today and you feel and you know and you recognize your unrighteousness, don't lose heart. Because the righteousness, the matter of the kingdom, is the righteousness that we have in Jesus Christ. The righteous shall live by faith. Romans 1, 17. We are righteous living by faith. The righteousness is ours. God's righteousness is ours by faith in Christ. It's amazing because you know, if you evaluate Christ, 
He was perfectly righteous. Never did a wrong thing. And so we're so thankful that we stand in him complete. By the Holy Spirit transforming us and and, and latching us and uniting us to Jesus and his righteousness. That same spirit is also transforming us into his righteousness. Transforming us. Think about your own self and think, you know, five years ago to today. Something maybe you struggled with five years ago. You might not have conquered it right now. You might still be struggling, but think and say, you know, is the power of God evidence in me? Is the kingdom, am I a citizen of the kingdom? And, and is there evidence that the Holy Spirit is doing a work on that thing? And maybe it doesn't mean you've conquered it any more than you did five years ago, but do you hate it more? Do you grieve the fact that you do that or you struggle with that more? You might not have victory yet, but are you um, striving more and praying more about that thing in your life? Are you longing to be righteous as your Savior is righteous? Don't lose heart when you're not perfect. The matter of the kingdom, our righteousness, thankfully we stand in Christ's righteousness complete. One day we will be fully righteous. The second matter of the kingdom then is peace. We know that there is eternal peace. That we are at rest completely. But here now, do we experience peace? Yes. There is no peace apart from Christ on this earth. If we are absent from Christ, any other peace or promise of peace is a facade. It's a lie. It's a masquerade. People who say that there is peace, even when you think of conflict and war, there is no true peace. Even though they may have stopped the gunfire, doesn't mean their hearts love the other side. Doesn't mean they're reconciled. The only peace we have is in Christ. And we were at war with God. And our sin in our hearts was at war with God. And the only peace we have is because of Christ, the Prince of Peace. Who reconciled us to God and now gave us a ministry of reconciliation where we're supposed to take that, extend it to others, welcome them in and say, you need to be made right with God. I was hostile to God. And at times my heart still is. But I'm now at peace with God. I am reconciled to God. I've been made right with God. The war is over because Jesus. Because of Jesus. There is peace. In that regard, there's peace between you and God. And then that begins to trickle out between peace between you and others. You begin to lay down arms and say, you know what? That's not worth it. It's not worth my time. I don't I don't want to rage your soul so that you can't hear me when you see the power of God at work in me. I don't want to do that. So there's times where uh, we then are the peacemakers, as we should be. We should be the peacemakers so that people can hear and see the power of God in us. That God has so transformed this person, you and me, that maybe who we were once argumentative, we were once so hostile, are now willing to just step back and say, you know what, I love you and I'm just going to pray for you. God begins to transform the way we interact with not only him, but others. But then this peace goes much deeper, doesn't it? It goes deeper than just relational peace. It goes to a peace that is a trust. A peace that is anxiety alleviating. Doesn't mean we'll never be anxious. Doesn't mean we'll never worry. Doesn't mean we'll always have this um, glow around us like uh, we have some weird peace. But it does mean that we are trusting we, we are trusting that no matter what comes, no matter what the circumstance brings, and it looks hard and difficult, we can approach it with peace, knowing it is what God has for us, and he never will do something that will rob him of glory. 
and it's not for my ultimate good. And so we walk into whatever we face with peace, a true trust with peace. So, and you might, I, I'm praying that you experience this more and you, you've realized this more in your life. Maybe, like, obviously we need to be more righteous and we need to be sanctified in our, in our battle with sin. But I feel like this is maybe sometimes a little more evident and easier to see in the life of a Christian. Because now we're not so hostile with God that we're not so angry at everybody else. When you are right with God, and you know this as well as I do, when you are right with God, when you remember the gospel afresh, you remember you're forgiven, when you confess your sin to the Lord, and you bring it before Him, and you feel the power of forgiveness, you, you tend to have a better attitude with other people too. You tend to not go off on other people. You tend to not be as angry or impatient. When you are in a right standing with God in terms of understanding where your peace is, that you are reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus, it begins to transform things. And guess what? People see the power. They see the power of this king in your life. The peace that surpasses all understanding is a deep and abiding trust in the Lord. And we have it here and now. And it is increasing. doesn't mean it's perfect. doesn't mean you don't struggle. But it is here and now. It's the power of God on display. It is a matter of the kingdom and the people of the kingdom. It's amazing. In, in Titus uh, chapter 3, uh, he gives this uh, kind of a, a, a beautiful picture of what the gospel has done for us, but then also at the end, uh, a warning about those who are supposedly in the church, but are the furthest thing from peacemakers. These are the people who stir up trouble. And he says, I'm going to warn you about them. Hear this beautiful text in Titus chapter 3 about how he saved us, and then uh, really the struggle of those who are not at peace. Titus 3 verse 5. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want to insist on these things. So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. For they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once... And then twice have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, and he is self-condemned. Amazing. It says, you know, do devote yourself to good works, because these are excellent and profitable for people. But then he says, avoid controversies. Avoid foolish controversies. Don't get into quarrels about the law which is what we see in Romans 14, is what we experience sometimes in the world now, is controversies about, well, some of the opinions we may have. He says, don't get into quarrels about it. He says, they're unprofitable and they are worthless because the matter of the kingdom is not flesh and bone, but it's a power and the spirit. So don't get into quarrels about the law. He says, the person who does this, the person who stirs up division about these sorts of things, he says, they're warped 
and sinful. And, and he says, there is an example, he gives a really concise view of, of church discipline. Warn him once, warn him twice, and then have nothing more to do with him. Don't call him bro- brother anymore. Don't let him go on believing that he is in Christ because the evidence is he doesn't belong to this kingdom. This is a man who just wants to stir up division after warning if he doesn't repent. You know he's sinful and he's unrepentant. So it's dangerous. Uh, But the people of the kingdom of God have peace and they are peacemakers. They don't stir up division because of what Christ has done in regenerating them. We devote ourselves that's which is good the righteousness those who are in peace in christ are also those thirdly who have joy we have joy amazing what uh, is said in first peter chapter 1 verse 8 he says though you have not seen him you love him though you do not now see him you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and full of glory You you haven't even seen Jesus in the flesh. You haven't been with him in the flesh, but you you love him. You love him and you believe in him. And that your relationship also produces rejoicing with joy that is inexpressible. Does that mean that we are always jubilant? That we are always over the top and always seem to be happy according to what happy standards are no we know that joy inexpressible is a contentment and a satisfaction ultimately in jesus we don't trust in our earthly happiness or good feelings we don't trust in good health or lots of money or political um, rest or um, economic freedom we don't trust in any of those things instead we have Rejoicing with joy that is inexpressible. We have contentment and satisfaction because we have been made right with God when we did not deserve it. Hebrews 10.34 says, For you had compassion on those who were in prison. So this is again showing the fruit of a true joy in this earth. You had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession. An abiding one. They joyfully gave up what was rightfully theirs. They were plundered. They got taken advantage of. The freedoms they had, the things they had were gone. And they didn't care. Because it said they had a better possession. They gave all those things up and they didn't. They had joy, true joy when their things were just stolen from them. Their possessions. Romans 14, their liberty, their freedom. When it was even taken from you, you have joy, true contentment, true satisfaction. He says, because you have a better possession. You have a better possession and an abiding one. The thing that gives you the joy isn't momentary. It's eternal. It's Jesus. Here in Romans 14, you know, some of them would have had to give up their liberties, what they thought they were free to do. Paul exhorts them to just give that up. Give up their freedoms. Um, for the sake of a brother. They gave it up joyfully because their joy is not based in their freedom here and now. It's not based on what they can do or cannot do, not what they have or do not have. It's based in an abiding one that is Christ. Something better is what brought them joy. It's amazing. In John 16, 22, it says, you'll have sorrow now, 
but I'll see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take that joy from you. You will rejoice, and no one will take that joy from you. Doesn't matter what they take. They can take your house, they can take your car, they can take your kids. They can take your life, but no one will take that joy from you. Because this is a matter of the kingdom of God. It is a fruit in the life of a believer. It is what the power of God in the Holy Spirit is doing, giving you a joy and rejoicing in knowing Christ. That no matter what comes, you're satisfied with that. They won't take that true joy from you. Amazing. This righteousness, this peace, this joy that will one day fully and perfectly be ours, we get glimpses of now, we get fruits of now, living in uh, this broken, uh, sin-affected kingdom of God. Now, here and now, as citizens, we look for the day when we'll be able to worship our King at His glorious throne. We'll be able to sing unhindered by sin where we will experience the righteousness of no more wicked thoughts, no more temptation, where we will be unhindered by any restraint of our sin that has still made us hostile to God, that will be gone, and where there will be true joy as we see him face to face, knowing that he was as satisfying as he said he was. And every glimpse that we got of it in this life here and now, it is fully satisfied and truly full here and now we experience it in the holy spirit we will experience it face to face let us rejoice in the kingdom of god let's pray father in heaven you are a good god and we long to see you and we are so thankful that we get to experience a glimpse of the kingdom here and now because of the power of the holy spirit in us Thank you for the Holy Spirit who produces these things in us, that we don't have to make up righteousness, we don't have to make up peace, and we don't have to produce joy, but instead we trust ourselves to you, we walk by faith, and we long to have you in, in, just embolden us in these things and encourage us in these things. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit and how it enables us to experience all that you have for us here and now. Help us, O oh God, when we are discouraged by our sinfulness. Help us when we are discouraged by uh, the, the hostility. Help us when there are things in our life that want to rob us of joy. We need your help by the Holy Spirit, and we pray for it in Christ's name. Amen.